All right, we're going to be in John a lot tonight. So let's see if I can give you a little bit of a framework. It's going to be a little bit more of a Bible study in the sense that I'm going to go to lots of passages and try to build a little bit of a foundation here for our foundation for Christ-likeness. So if I were to ask you, why are you to be Christ-like? And kind of that's a little bit of the theme of the series, right? Um, that we would be like our Savior, that we'd see him and who he is, and that we would pursue that um, characteristic, that attribute, that quality that makes Christ our precious Savior. And so John so much centralizes his concern on love. And as you're looking through and reading through John's discussion of Jesus and our love for him, his love for the Father, I think there's some interplay that, that's worth kind of laboring through together. So I'm going to try to like drag you with me through a little bit of a Bible study here. But let's just start with this thought. What is love? What is love? Sacrificing for the good of another. That, that sounds so romantic and affectionate. Thank you for that, Erica. Now, we often do, um, that's actually a really good definition, but before I move on, um, we often in our culture define love sentiment, sentimentally, like as our feelings, you know, so we might say like to young people about something along the lines of falling in love. Um, it has to do with our kind of sense of romance. Or maybe even just concern for another. For instance, parents loving children and doting on them. Uh, when we look at Scripture and we look at God himself, love, I think, is a lot less, I, mean, I use that word sentimental. I want to be careful that I don't make God an emotionalist stone. Um, he's not. So here's what, um, this is from MacArthur's definition on love, and I thought it was helpful. God's perfect love is his determination. A little different than affection, isn't it? Or sentiment. It's his determination to give of himself to himself and to others. And is his affection for himself and his people. This definition affirms that God has affections or emotions. But once again, it is necessary to note that God's affections are not passions by which he is driven, but active principles by which God expresses his holy dispositions. God is not unfeeling or incapable of compassion. However, it is sub-biblical understanding of God's affections that conceive of God as being surprised by emotional fluctuations. I think there's a helpful point in the end there. I don't know if you tracked with it, but God is not caught up in his emotions. He's not driven by his emotions. Um, it's not as though uh, God finds himself, quote-unquote, falling in love. But love is a determination of God and here I think we need to be careful to give of himself to himself. So if I, if I rethink that, like how I'm to be loving, God loves God, then others. So for Mark to be God-like or godly, I need to love God and others. Okay, this is not somehow defining self-love as appropriate. It's just saying that the, the central affection of God's love is who? It's God. The idolatry for him to exalt anyone above himself. And, and so I think for us, then we do the same thing. We don't mirror it, we do the same thing. We exalt God as the central being whom we should love and care for and devote ourselves to. McLean, I actually like his definition. It's shorter and clearer, I think. Um, love is that which in God moves him to give of himself and his gifts spontaneously, voluntarily, righteously and eternally for the good of personal beings 
regardless of their merit or response. So I, I realize it's kind of wordy as you like, like four commas in there, spontaneous, voluntarily, righteously, and eternally. But um, the point is God moves or God is moved to give up himself and his gifts for the good of personal beings. Um, so I, I'm not sure that sacrifice has to be part of our definition of love, but what I would say is like you are giving of or from yourself for the good of a personal being. That's what love is. Yes. Yes. I don't think that's what's meant by spontaneity. It's not like he's walking this way. It's like, oh, here we go. We're going to love over here. Uh, I think the point of spontaneity is that it doesn't arise from something within us that causes him to love us. That it, it's, it's arising from wholly within himself. Um, so that it doesn't have some, some cause or trigger that's necessary to lead, to him, lead him to love. Um, so I want you to, to all come with me to John 5. And we're going to look at a little bit at love. And the, the, hopefully by the end we get to application stuff. But I just want to wrestle through and kind of pull some threads here on God's love. So we're in John 5. I'm going to read. Um, I'm going to start right around verse 19. John's one of those fun books because he's so theologically rich. And so he forces us to think and uh, kind of paves or plows new, new fields for us in, in theological concerns. Look with me in verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of God, or excuse me, the Son, can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Let's just pause there for a moment. When you consider um, what this text says, the Father loves the Son and does what then? Verse 20. And shows him. So, so you, have, you have the Father saying, like, like in this picture, right? Um, just to tease us out, like Jesus is calling us to love in, in a way that represents the Father and the Son, right? Like he calls us into relational love with one another as we see in the Trinity. We call in this, this sweet fellowship later in like John 15, 16, 17. So we see a text like this, we gotta be thinking like, okay, so what's going on here? So that I can, I can um, maybe extrapolate the ways in which I am to find in Christ a pattern for me to love. So when it says this, the Father loves me and shows me all things, we, we, I think, as a culture, look at that, and we, we have a little bit of a disconnect. But if we had to rewind time about three or 400 years, it would be no surprise to find a father in his trade showing his son what the trade looked like. And so, for instance, Joseph was a carpenter, which probably means something more like builder, like think construction guy. And since he lived in an area with very little wood, he wasn't actually a carpenter working with wood as much as with stone. So imagine... Joseph takes Jesus out to quarry stone, and he shows them which type of stone is going to make a strong building, what type of stone is going to make a poor building, the size of stone that's ideal for the type of building that they're going to be working on. And so Joseph lovingly takes Jesus out along with him to work. And if you've ever trained your children how to work, it is work to teach your children to work, and it doesn't help you do any work. It's a loss of time to teach a child to work. And so Joseph is losing time, he's losing efficiency 
because he loves his son and he's showing him how to do stonework. And so he lovingly takes him back um, and begins to show him how to take implements and shape the stone. He shows Jesus how to place it, the mortar, the amount of mortar used to appropriately bind the stones together to begin building. And Jesus and his earthly father, Joseph, through this act of fatherly love and devotion, is shown how to be a carpenter or how to be a builder. That would be normal. Uh, this is common life throughout all of the, uh, I mean, frankly, most eras that fathers trained their sons in their trade. So I want you to like bring that baggage of understanding into that verse, especially verse 20. The father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. The picture that Jesus is drawing for them from their culture is that God the Father is revealing to the Son how to do his work. And the Son is, is partnering with and under his Father's tutelage as his Father is lovingly showing him how to do this work. So then go back a verse. What exactly is Jesus capable of doing? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. So there's a narrowing. What does Jesus do? Only what the father does. So, I mean, the, the picture here is the son is not, he's not off in the field picking daisies. He's with his father doing whatever his father shows him to do. He is not distracted. He is not deviating. He is, he is doing the father's work under the Father's loving guidance. And, and then it, it indicates in this text that not only does he do this, look at the end of the verse. And whatever the Father does, the Son does. So not only is there a limitation, there's also the ceiling here is what? The Father's doing. So what can the Son do? Let's just, let's just imagine Had and I go to the rock field, and I'm going to show him how to build a building with rocks. I grab a 60-pound rock, and I'm like, now, Haddon, you grab yours. Haddon's not going to pick a 60-pound rock. He picks up a little 8-pounder, and we go back. And he's not doing whatever I'm doing. He, he has minimal strength to do man's work. And so he has, to, he has to pare down what he can do. Notice Jesus here only does what the Father does, but he does whatever the Father does. It's a, it's a claim of divinity. It's a claim of, of almighty power for him to do this. This is, a, this is an implicit identification that he is God himself. Having said that, um, if, if, we, if we just kind of consider the observations from chapter 5 so far, the Son, out of out of let me, let me reverse this. The father, out of love, shows the son what to do. You guys tracking so far? All right. The son does what the father shows him. So why does the son do what the father shows him? Any thoughts? John 14, 31. Again, kind of in our Bible study format here. Uh, let's turn to John 14, 31 together. You don't need to keep your finger. I don't know that we're going to come back to John chapter 5. Look with me in John 14, 31.
I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know what? That I love the Father. So, so now we have this mutual love that, that Jesus is later showing us is why he's doing it. So we have the Father showing the Son what to do as an act of love by the Father to the Son. And the Son doing whatever the Father has for him as an act of love and actually an exposure of his love. How do we know Jesus loves the Father? Because he does what the Father asks him. How do we know the Father loves the Son? Because of an act of, of devotion, the Father gives to his Son this call and example to be like him and shows him what he does. And the Son does only and whatever the Father reveals to him. So that as a believer then, we look at Jesus and what we see is only and whatever the Father's character reveals to the Son. So that Jesus can say, or the Apostle John can say in John 1, that no one has seen God at any time, but the Son has made him known. Or you go a little later in John 12, that Jesus says, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but the one who sent me, verse 45 of John chapter 12, and whoever sees me sees the one who sent me. All right? So why does Jesus do this? It's not merely for love. Look with me in John 17. This love has purpose behind it. In John 17, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come to glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have, verse 4, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me or that you gave me to do. So why does the, why does the son do what the father has for him? I think there are two motives, and I, I think they're somewhat sequential. One is because he loves the father, and thereby doing what the father does, out of love the son brings glory to the father. And I, I would assume that what Jesus is thinking is something like this. That God the Father's love is expressed through the death of Jesus Christ. So how do you know the Father loves you? Because Jesus Christ glorified him. In other words, the cross expressed or, or um, manifested, revealed God's love to us. So when Jesus says, I have glorified you, now glorify me with the glory that I had before the world began, he's saying something along the lines of, I have shown the world your virtue, your character, your love, your holiness, your justice, your grace, your mercy. Well, when did he do this? By doing what the Father does. Why did he do this? Because he so loves the Father and the Father so loves him that the Father shows him, he does what the Father does, and he shows us then who the Father is when he does it. How do you know how the father shapes a rock if he's a builder? When you see the son shape a rock, if you've never seen the father, and you see the son work and he's doing what his father does, you know the craftsmanship, the skill, the wisdom, the work he does, right? So when we have the text like this laying out for this example, now I want you to circle back on round two now, and you see how Jesus uses this theology to preach to his disciples. 
So the son's obedience reveals his love for the father, his commitment to glorify the father. And then Jesus uses this. John 13, we looked at this last week. He washes these disciples' feet. And he says, I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done. Look with me in John 15. We looked at this last week with the vine passage. Hopefully, that theology of John will actually help us exegete John 15 better. So we come to John 15. I'm going to look back in verse 8 or so and then read down through, oh, I don't know, maybe verse 15. But this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, I want you to think in your minds, how has the Father shown his love for the Son? By, giving this, by, by showing him, by exampling for the Son what is to be done. So as the Father's loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, does that make more sense? What is Jesus saying? That the Father showing the Son and then the, fun, the Son reproducing the work of the Father is actually an expression of mutual love. And so then he looks at his disciples and he says, now it's our turn. I am going to show you what to do. I am going to tell you how to do it. And you doing it is actually your expression of love for me. I want you to consider then how Jesus takes the idea of commandments and turns it on its head. If, if you were to see Dad Joseph take son Jesus and spend hours laboring him in the fields, gathering rocks and shaping them ready to build, and then with his son spending days hauling them to the work site, and then carefully showing his son and instructing his son how to, how to mix mortar and collect the ingredients and bind these stones together, and he's constructing a, a building, and it's taking him significantly longer, and he's doing this as an act of care for his son. With this skill, he's giving his son an ability to earn for his family in the future. He's showing his son a trade. He's doing so at cost to himself, both in time and energy and just annoyance. If you've ever worked with little kids, as you try to train them, it's challenging on patience and skill and everything else. This supreme act of love that God the Father does for God the Son, Jesus is now saying to his disciples, I am doing for you. And so, like, every once in a while, and you, maybe you can feel it in your own heart or you hear it in Christian community, the idea that God's commandments are kind of heavy or that they're, 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 not, they're not appreciated. But if we were to see that in God's commands or in Christ's commands particularly, he is taking and guiding our hands and shaping the stones of our life with his hands that we would know how to be like him. Just like any loving father would teach his son how to, how to build and be a craftsman like him. This is how Jesus is teaching his disciples. Continue on then in, in, in those verses. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you have love for one another, another excuse me, um, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I heard from the Father, I've made known to you. So, so again, Jesus is showing us that as the Father has taught him, 
as an act of love, John 5, from the Father to the Son, now the Son takes his disciples and says, you are not merely slaves. I am showing deep love by showing you how to live. And I'm not merely just telling you as a commander, I am revealing this to you and telling you the why of it as a friend, as an act of love, not merely as an act of a king. All right, having said all of that, I think John 17 then bears this out. Look in John 17 with me. going to kind of skip through this passage and highlight where he's, he's raising this thought to his disciples. Look with me in verse 6. I have manifested your name. So he's praying to the Father. So I have manifested the Father's name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they, they have kept your word. So Jesus says, I've shown them. I've manifested your word to them. So again, think of this. Father loving the Son by showing him what to do. Now the Son is loving his disciples by manifesting to them the word so that they might know what to do. Look down in verse 26. Actually, let's go back to 18 and 19. Um, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Verse 17, 18. You sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified or consecrated, the same Greek word there, in truth. So you have Jesus saying, you sent me, so what am I doing? I'm sending them. I have been sanctified, I've been set apart for ministry, and now what am I doing? I'm setting them apart. And so the disciples who have a theology, or maybe I could say like a, um, a cultural understanding of, of, of the loving work of a father to train his son in his trade, are now hearing Jesus use like this type of cultural language to preach to them. The handoff is not just an anchored discipleship, it's actually a loving father-to-son type of discipleship. In other words, you could say this. One of the greatest acts of love for Jesus in this moment is to hand off for them clarity, like a father to a son, on how to do the work. And, and again, I'm just kind of, I'm trying to press back on the idea that Jesus Christ has given us commands in, in any sense other than out of love. That this is father loving the son shows the son what to do as a deep act of love. And then Jesus says, that's what I'm doing. As a deep act of love for you disciples, I am sending you, I am sanctifying you, I am manifesting the word to you that you might know that I love you and call you to follow me. Look down at verse 26. I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. See how he's tying those two things together again now? Like, I, I have learned your word, I'm manifesting it to them so that having been loved by you, now they may know they're loved by me. I find that compelling. It's just not the way you hear commands preached. There is something, maybe I could say it this way, God's commands are filled and generated and granted to us because he loves us. 
Right? Go back to the analogy. Son, do this with your shaping tool. Is not because he doesn't like his son. It's, it's an act of love to train his son how to accomplish the work. So having said that, I think we also then look at Jesus' example as ours. Why does Jesus do what he does? Why does Jesus obey the Father's example? Because he loves the Father. So why should you obey Christ's commands? Because our loving, and, and I, I use this not in the Trinitarian sense, but our loving Father, Jesus, like in this example, our mentor maybe would be a better way. Our leader, the one whom we are disciples of, has given us this example out of love, and our response is to do it in return because we love him, to obey his commands because we honor him. So for instance, if we were to look through John here, John 14, 5, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Does that make more sense now? Like when you have that father example, you see how this is how the father loves the son and the son's response to the father. And then Jesus says, come join me in this type of relationship where what the father gives the son is clarity and strength and, and instruction. So the father shows the son and the son does what the father does. And now Jesus says, this is what I want you to do, what I do to be like me. John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. That's an interesting, like, chain. Right, so as we engage and follow the example of the Son, we also are brought into loving fellowship with his Father. That Jesus is not just a single agent, but an agent by which we are brought into the love of the Trinitarian God, or the triune God. Better, better said. So then I look at verses like Matthew 5 where Jesus says, let your light shine. Why? So that people might see your and then do what? And then you come to John 17 and Jesus is saying, I have glorified your name having done the work you've given me to do. And Jesus is now saying, hey, this is what it looks like for the cross work. In the cross, I glorified your name, Father, by showing the world your character. And Jesus saying, live righteously, and when you do, people will see your good works and do what? Doesn't that sound similar? Like, there's work done, and when we do it by following the Father, the Son glorifies the Father, and so do his followers. That ultimately we do that because we love the Son, but the purpose for which we do it is to glorify the Father by glorifying the Son. You guys tracking? For me, it's really encouraging as, as I'm seeing these pieces come together. It's not like entirely brand new thoughts, but then I want to end with John 21, 19. Because I think this is one of those ones. If you've been tracking through and reading through with John, and then, and then you read 21, 19, it kind of hits hard. Okay, he's talking to Peter, and he indicates to Peter how he's going to die. Right, he's just said, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. We, we've walked through that. Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19, 
This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, that Jesus said to Peter, follow me. It's kind of like, do you see that chain? Like, Father shows the Son what to do. The Son does the work that the Father's shown him what to do, and it leads him to where? The cross. Right? He does the cross out of love for the Father, right? Like, I, I am doing this because the Father has sent me in obedience to the cross. I do this to glorify his name, John 17, 2, 3, and 4. And then we come to 21:19, and Jesus is looking at Peter after having died on the cross and tells him, this is how you're going to do this. This is how you're going to die in order that you might do what? Glorify God. John 17, 4, except now it's Peter, not Jesus, as it was in John 17. And then Jesus looks at him and says what? Follow me. And you see that, that discipleship circle kind of come full all the way around and complete with Peter. And I would just suggest to you all, when you go back to that example, Jesus has just said to Peter, do you, do you love me? Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. And, and take care of my sheep. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. So we look at, at these commands and we look at our response to the one who has trained us and showed us how to do is to be energized and empowered because we love him. So like legalism, why are people legalistic and rigid about their obedience? Because they, well, often because they love themselves. Right? Like, okay, so Pharisees, they did it because they liked the name it gave them. Oh, wow, look at those holy people. Son, if you can grow up and be like those Pharisees, you'll be this close to God. Oh, okay. Right? Like, they did this. They made long prayers for a pretense so people would look at them. I mean, they were showmen. They weren't godly men. But then they're, so like, that's them, right? Who, who's being served? They're serving themselves, Right? You, you might also have a sincere legalistic person, like let's say a devout person in, in many of the works religions of the world. Why are they good? It's self-rescue. They better be good or they're going to die and go to hell. That's their theology. So why are they good? Because they want to go to heaven. This is, once again, about them serving themselves. Why are you good? And the answer should be because of devotion to the one who has trained you that goodness is godliness. Right? Like, as, as Jesus shows you how to respond to the one, I could say it this way, as Jesus responds to the Father, so we are to respond to Jesus. The motives of Jesus were to love his father by glorifying his name. And now when he says, come and be like me, he's not saying just do the stuff I do. He's saying have the heart that causes me to do it. And I, I think when I, I look at ways in which we can struggle as a people, oftentimes we get caught up with what people think of me or, or we're motivated out of some senses of guilt but what should energize the Christian 
is that the love and concern for Jesus to give us what is good for us is what caused him to example for us and give to us the word that sanctifies us, his commands. And if that is true, our response, as any son should be when his father lovingly instructs him on how to do well, should out of love do well and do right because we are devoted and loyal to him. So having thought through, like trying to, trying to pull apart the love of Christ for his father because he calls us to be like him. Like, okay, so what, is, what does Jesus mean when he's calling us to this kind of like example of the triune God? I think this was helpful for me to kind of just wrestle with this is what Jesus is seeing in his disciples and calling them to. So maybe I could just summarize it this way. The foundation of obedience for the disciple is love. It's this type of love, which obviously has to have faith energizing it as well, but I don't think that's the context of John. I think it's assumed. Right? If you love Jesus, you are his disciple. You are a believer. So I'm not trying to say, like, just love Jesus, don't believe him. I am trying to say the, the focus of John, and I think it's helpful, is that what moves obedience is not the opinion of others, is not a desire to earn favor, but as a devotion to give to our Savior what is good. And a devotion to give to the people around us what is good, and that is that they would see the Savior in us. So love compels us to obey. Okay, having said all of that, I think this is why singing is so powerful. Meditation for the Christian is such a necessary duty. Because if you are to obey Jesus, well, let me just like home example and then move it back to this. My son is, is super bright, but a little bit distracted. So there have been moments where it's like, okay, Haddon, let's do this thing. And I'll start doing it. And I'm like, Haddon, pay attention. Like, look at what I'm doing. And it, that happens very frequently with my son. I think he gets it from his dad. Like, if I'm not locked in, I am lost. And, and I'm calling for his attention and his consideration. How much more should that be one of those natural disciplines we need to strengthen and cultivate so that when we come to Scripture, we can say something like this, Christ, train me. Right? Like, like I need to know how to be like you. I need to see your character revealed in the text of Scripture. I mean, if this is a, an act of love whereby Christ shows how, how much he cares for his disciples and he says, I've manifested your word to them. Like, to call the Bible a love letter it feels a little trite to me. But to look at his words given through the Holy Spirit to us that we might see his example and learn of him so that in love we can be like him means I need to pay attention. It means when we're singing songs of rich theology, my mind should be engaged so that I can learn of my Savior and find his example compelling so that I might be like him. So that when in tests, I can put on display the character of Christ, not the character of Mark. This should energize my Bible reading, my singing, my worship. If, if as Christ moves, he's showing me how to shape my life rather than a stone, then I need, I need to see how my Savior moves. 
and see what moves his heart, what moves his feet and his mouth so that I can act and behave like him. And, and I think if we start there, like who is my Savior, and we start with worship, then some of the, the practical, shallow teaching that is, is enjoyable but shallow can give way to just rich preaching and teaching. Because what has to move first? You must first be trained. You must think right about Jesus before you can walk rightly in love for him. You have to, like, before I go on any trip where I've never been before, you know what I do in my driveway? I pull up Google. And I get directions. And I hit start. And then I pull out of my driveway. Because knowledge precedes doing. So Jesus Christ has trained us out of love to be like him, and love then energizes my doing. All right, that is it for our Bible study in John on love tonight. Hopefully that, that's helpful, but let me just say it again. Love is our foundation for following after Christ. Love is our foundation for being a faithful disciple of Christ. His love for us, and then our love for him. So we love him by doing what he says for his glory. So our purpose is to glorify him. Our heart is love for him. Our source is the manifestation of the Father by the Son in the scriptures. So hopefully that, trying to bring together lines of theology and, and kind of tie them in a, a unified theme there for you at the end. All right, let's uh, spend some time praying to our Savior.